Sentire Media. Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 135, Savoy, Different Coloured Counts and a Murder Mystery, 1255 to 1391. We last left the Counts of Savoy having received a sound whipping by the Piedmontese commune of Asti in the year 1255, in which not only did they not manage to bring the city under their control, but ended up having to pay the embarrassing cittadinatico tax to be considered citizens and sort of vassals of the commune. The head of the house at the time was a certain Boniface. After him, the line shifted a bit from nephew to uncle to brother to nephew to son to brother before straightening out again from father to son for a bit more time. But I won't put that in the test, don't worry. In this time, the dynasty managed to continue with the slow expansion and consolidation of the family lands by a marriage here and a conquest there that we spoke about in the last episode which was a winning strategy of the House of Savoy. In this period, we have a fifth Amadeo who managed to take the castle of Chambéry in modern-day France, which became the de facto capital of the dynasty for a bit. His time in power earned him the moniker The Great, but I'm pretty sure that that didn't make it much further out of the dynasty itself. This brings us to the first really rounded character of the dynasty that has come down to us, Amadeus VI, also known as the Green Count. This is not due to the fact that he was often sick or anything. He participated in his first tournament just after being knighted at a very young age and did very well. On that occasion, a lot of the decorations around the tournament area were green, and from that day on, he decided that that was going to be his colour. His cloak, his clothes, his horse's coverings, his tent, and so on. Everything had to be green for the green count. He was said to have a very strong personality and a thirst to prove himself in battle and in his administration. He was charismatic, always at the centre of attention, and also very passionate from a young age. He conceived his first child at the age of 15, the same child who 17 years later would accompany a 32-year-old count on crusade. He was really into all his chivalric stuff and founded not one but two knightly orders, that of the Swan and that of the Collar of Savoy. At the same time, he must have felt a bit guilty about smacking people with swords and lances so much, so he was also good at doing his penitence by feeding the poor and washing their feet and things like that. He did the usual good Savoy job of marrying well, to Bona of Bourbon, and he also did a good job with his sister, Blanche of Savoy, whom he married to Gian Galeazzo Visconti, the first Duke of Milan, who 
ended up mostly ignoring the poor wife in favour of his mistress. When those same naughty Visconti started to get too close for comfort by threatening Asti, it was Amadeo the Green Count who intervened to push them back in 1372. This greatly increased his prestige in Italy after making a name for himself on the European scene, in particular participating in a crusade against the Turks in 1365. In 1382, just a year before his death, he managed to expand the holdings of Savoy down to Cuneo, halfway between Turin and Nice, which would eventually mean access to the sea. The Green Count died on the 1st of March, 1383, of plague on his way down to put his two cents into the issue of the succession to the throne of Naples, having sided with the French Anjou versus the Durazzo Anjou in exchange for French lands in southern Piedmont. His son, another Amadeo, the seventh, then took over. In this case, the apple did not fall very far from the tree, with the son having a lot of the character traits of the father and even getting in on the whole coloured count business. Obviously, he wanted to distinguish himself, so instead of going for green, he went for red. He also continued the family tradition of cautious expansion, managing to incorporate the county of Nice in 1388 and obtaining the important access to the sea. This would be important also for the future since one of Italy's most illustrious generals would be born in Nice centuries later, Giuseppe Garibaldi. For now, the Savoy had their access to a port and went about straight away consolidating the narrow strip of land to get there at the expense of the Marquis of Saluzzo and Monferrato, as always. The Red Count also married well like his father, and like his father, he married a woman by the name of Bona, this time of Berry. However, the Red Count did not get to go very far because on the 1st of December, 1391, at the age of only 30, he died in Chambéry. This gave rise to the first murder mystery in the history of the dynasty. You see, Amadeus VII had fallen from a horse a few weeks previously and had got a nasty wound on his thigh. It could simply have been a question of this wound never properly healing, getting infected and killing the Count, perhaps due to a tetanus infection. However, at the time, it was seen as murder by poisoning. A suspicion supported by the supposed dying words of the Count himself, who as he wasted away in agony, was said to have damned his treacherous poisoners. So, if I have paid any attention to the various TV crime shows, the first thing we need to look for is a motive. That one was pretty easy when it came to dealing with hereditary rule, and that was the succession. Amadeo VII had a son who was called, would you believe it? I bet you can't, Amadeo. Unfortunately, he was a rather sickly child, and in a time when children often didn't make it to adulthood, this meant danger for the future of the dynasty. That was the motive, 
Then there were the suspects, who were part of a faction out of three that formed after the Count's death. First, there was the faction led by the Countess' mother, Bona of Bourbon, and the pro-French part of the court. Bona had managed to carve out a certain influence for herself when her husband, the Green Count, had been away on various business. She was known to distinguish her from her widowed daughter-in-law as Madame Legrande. Then there was the widowed daughter-in-law, but she didn't play much of a role in the coming malarkey. She was known as Madame Lejeune. The other important factions were those of the Piedmontese Italian nobles. Their leader was a pretender to the throne of the county. You would hope that he at least would have a different name, but no chance, he was also an Amedeo. Amedeo da Caia. We'll call him the pretender. Now, suspicions fell on a bohemian doctor by the name of Jean de Granville, whom the Red Count had consulted to do something about the fact that he was going bald. This is rather unpleasantly ironic. You call in somebody to take care of your bald spot and you end up getting killed. I will take my chances with hair loss. The doctor had the Count shave his head completely and started to anoint the scalp with a series of various substances, including some made with myrrh and wine. The accusers say that this was the occasion in which the Count was poisoned. I'm not sure if that means through the scalp or while he was at it, somebody put something in his drink, but anyway, that was the occasion. At this point, the Countess' mother, Bona of Bourbon, Madame Legrande set up a commission and very quickly found the doctor not guilty. It was the incredible speed, one day, of the not guilty verdict that raised the suspicion of the faction of Amadeo da Caia, the pretender, who then moved in and had the doctor imprisoned. When the doctor was freed with the help of Bona of Bourbon's faction, the pretender's suspicions became certainty. He set up a new commission, and the Countess' mother ran off to a castle on Lake Geneva. The commission arrested a man by the name of Peter of Lompes, a spice merchant who had given Dr. Granville the ingredients for the boldness cure. Under torture, the man confessed to the involvement in the supposed conspiracy of the doctor and the Countess' mother herself. He was then beheaded in front of the castle of Chambéry, and his body chopped up into bits and sent under salt in barrels to different cities in the county. Sometime later, the doctor was also captured and confessed under torture. Despite the fact that the Piedmontese pretender faction now had a culprit who had also named those behind the deed, they couldn't really go much further. They simply did not have the military strength to pursue a conflict that could eventually lead to war with France. But that is not the end of it. Here comes a twist to the story. Up popped a friar, Brother William Francon, 
who had been the last confessor of the poor spice merchant Peter of Lompes. He claimed that the man had told him that he had really been innocent and had only confessed under torture. What's more, the friar, having been present at the execution, claimed that a group of armed men had been placed around the area where the chopping block was to make a lot of noise, thus drowning out Peter's possible last words. At this point, a new trial was set up in which Peter was posthumously declared innocent and his bits were collected from the various locations they had been sent to and were stuck back together. I wonder who had that job, and he was buried with dignity. A lot of good that did him. That also was not all. There is an interesting epilogue to the mystery. One of the possible conspirators, a certain Odo of Granson, came back to his lands to find a young upstart knight trying to take over by accusing him of the old crime of the murder of the Red Count. The young knight challenged Odo to trial by duel, meaning that they would fight it out and God would grant victory to the one who was telling the truth. The 60-year-old Odo, who was suffering from an illness that caused him pain in his arm and made riding difficult, thought it would be a good idea to accept this challenge from a young knight barely older than 20 who was used to regular fighting in jousts and battles. I mean, why wouldn't you? Odo was thrown off his horse and killed on the first run. Make of that what you will. The end result was that Amadeo VIII, whose health had improved meanwhile, had a more straightforward path to succession and succeed he did. If for Amadeo VII, son of Amadeo VI, the apple hadn't fallen far from the tree, with Amadeo VIII, son of Amadeo VII, someone caught the apple as it was falling and decided to throw it as far away from the tree as they could. Where the father and grandfather were strong, charismatic and macho, Amadeo VIII was weak, introvert and bookish. However, this shrewdest of politicians would take the House of Savoy to new heights and for a time ran the risk of becoming one of the most powerful men in Christendom. Grazie, thank you so much for listening, and in particular I'd like to thank, as always, my lovely Patreon supporters, starting from the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Juan Diego, Julia G, Mary T, Old John in Milwaukee, Brewer's not doing so well, John, at the moment, let's hope they improve, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian Mella Michus Parchus Mike M Neville Niels Paradise Patrizia Kappa Philip B Roberta D Rod L Rodney N Rudy F Scott Sean Shelby Stephen Tap Dance Down Under and TO5 and the Tippy Top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri Level Paolo Lisa K Andrew M Peter W Kevin O, 
David L, Rinat, David, Oak, J, and Sen. And now that things are opening up again and we can travel, I'm going to start with the thank you videos for the top patrons. So there's videos coming your way, Peter, Kevin, and David. Look for them on Patreon. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or get in touch on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On our website, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can go to the support page and become a Patreon supporter of the show and get access to extra content and also advert-free episodes. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Ah, here you are. Let's get down to business. Right. What's that, then? What do you mean? Didn't you get my pigeon? Yes, I did. Very tasty, thanks. What? Tasty? You had my favourite pigeon? Oh, sorry. I don't know. It was a carrier pigeon. What did you think it was? Lunch? Oh, never mind. We are here to start the preparations for the investigation and trial into the death of the Red Count. Oh, yes. Nasty business, that. Yes, well, we believe... It was the butler. What? Yeah, the butler of Mr. Red Count in the bedroom with a candlestick. What? No, we suspect a doctor, a certain... Ah, yes, Dr. Plum in the hall with a rope. No, no, it was a certain doctor called... I know, I know, it was a green count in the courtyard with a herring. Now, now you're just being silly. You, you can't kill someone with a herring. Could be frozen. That would really hurt. Oh, stop it. Anyway, the Green Count was the Red Count's father, and he's been dead for years now. Now, some have tried to say that the Count died from a wound he got falling off his horse in the forest. There you are, then. It was the Red Count in the forest with the horse. No, no. We suspect that the Countess Mother had the Doctor poison our dear departed Count. Our dear Count? Yes. The one you hoped would die so you could become Count. What? <laughs> what? No, I, I never said that. I said I hoped he would dye his hair, you know, because of his bald spot. Mm, that's not how I remember it. Well, let's not dwell on the past. That won't do any good. Now, the Doctor. Ah, OK, OK. So, the Doctor. What does he look like? Look like? Well... Is I, he bald? Bald? What? what well, has he got green eyes? I don't know. Has he got a beard? A beard? Is it Claire? Claire? Who? Claire who? Can we just concentrate on the matter at hand, please? All right, all right. Oh, you have to give me 200 ducats. 200 ducats? What on earth for? I pass go on the way here. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. 
and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.